For some people, it's a choice to help them get control of their health and their life. For other people, it's a shortcut. For everybody, it's a risk. And for one person, it was nearly the end. We're going to hit that music, and then we're going to hear this story. Today is Tiana White, who had a horrific experience as she nearly died from getting the weight loss sleeve surgery. First off, Tiana, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thank you for joining me and thank you for being willing to share this very personal and very, uh, I think, important story to hear. So let's just get into it. How did you get to the point where you needed this surgery? What made you make this decision? Well, I'm going to be candid and, and transparent. I didn't really, from a medical point of view, Bruce, I didn't need the surgery. Um, as a matter of fact, I went to my primary care doctor. Um, she suggested against it, and I went to somebody else in a whole different um, medical uh, bracket. Or, or I think there's a lot of people, especially when it comes to weight loss, where the desire to get the weight off sometimes leads us to decisions we shouldn't make. It does. How did you get to the point where you felt you needed this? Um, I had always been chubby all my life, um, uh, plus size, and... I just felt like at uh, at the time I was 36, 37, and I just felt like um, I wasn't moving along in my career. I didn't um, attract the type of men that I wanted because I was a, a plus size woman. Um, I just felt like life would be better, you know, if I if I had lost weight. I just really did, especially with the my career. I saw people moving forward that may not have been as um, educated as I am, uh, but they were smaller, you know, maybe more attractive. And I thought. That'll be my opportunity to get ahead in life. And people just like me better. That's the reason why I decided to have it. How long were you struggling trying to lose the weight before you finally were like, okay, I need to take this measure? At that time, I had been struggling probably for about four years, four or five years. Um, I had got out of a, a, um, a difficult relationship. So my confidence wasn't all that great. Um, but to be honest, I had yo-yo diet, tried anything under the sun that was on, uh, um, you know, TikTok to Instagram to Facebook to something I heard somebody else did, you know, to try to get the weight off. And, you know, there were um, situations where it did work, but it was temporary. You know, I would lose it, blow back up, lose it, blow back up. So I decided on getting the surgery because I said, OK, this will be the finality of it. This will be it. I'll lose the weight. And life will be grand. Was there something that specifically sold you on the surgery itself? Was it a particular marketing scheme? Was it a friend or colleague you knew who had it and suddenly the sun showed through the clouds and look at them, they're the star they always wanted to be? What brought that into your view? I had a couple of personal uh, people in my personal life that had it and the conversation was still the same. Don't do it. Don't do it. Not because they had serious medical issues, but they, you know, there was a mental component that I hadn't considered. Um, but the real motivation for me was is that I just thought life was, I just, you know, and I don't want to sound ignorant, but I just thought life was just going to be better. I thought getting the weight off, I'd be able to buy different clothes. I'd be able to, uh, you know, do travel. I, I would get a different type of man, you know, people at my job would, you know, respect me more and I see me as, you know, the fat kid, you know what I mean? So you'd be the you you always wanted to be as opposed to the you that you had to live with all your life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This surgery, this particular thing, um, they told you not to do it, as you said. Yes. You settled on getting the sleeve. 
the fir- your mm-hmm. first doctor was absolutely not. And then you proceeded to look for somebody who would then go, well, of course you need this. My doctor, um, I'll never forget her. Her name is Dr. Joseph, and I still see her to this day. Um, she was a little old lady, and I just felt like she didn't understand, you know, and I thought she was being very harsh and very critical. We had a good relationship, but for some reason, she was just really adamant about this, and she was like, absolutely not. She's like, I'm not going to recommend it. I'm Whatever program you go through, I'm not going to personally sign off on it, and I got pissed at her. And so I went with a doctor outside, totally outside of the group that wasn't even affiliated with, um, you know, the people that I had been going to for all of my care. So you found Dr. Nick from The Simpsons. Yes, I did. I did. And Dr. Nick said, hey, let's do it. How many zeros are in your wallet? That sounds like you that sounds like the answer to your problems. Yes. Yes. And I drove up and he's a, my doctor was an hour and a half away. So I drove. Just in case he was affiliated with anybody in my area. I'm like, no, I don't want this to come up. And then they, you know, he find out my doctor told me not to do it. So I just went with it. Already sounding definitely like the best decision you've ever made in your life. Right. (laughs) So you go, you drive to this doctor whom you found specifically because he basically didn't have the ethics to go. No. Right. And he performed this surgery. And how did that go? The weight loss surgery actually went well. The facilitation of cutting my stomach in half into the shape of a banana, for those who aren't familiar with the uh, bariatric sleeve, that's what it's called. If you could, could you get a little more detail? Because I know they do something, Mm -hmm. but I have no idea what they do aside from, you know, once we get to they cut into you, I'm out. Right, right. So when you say they cut your stomach in half and make it into the shape of a banana, Please present a little more. As far as I know, guys, um, and you guys can going to have to fact check me, but this is what I know. There's three different types of surgery. There's the larger one, which is a, a I think it's called a bariatric RNUI, where they cut stuff, they reroute stuff. I didn't want to get that, and I didn't qualify for it because I wasn't large enough. Um, then there's the lap band. A lot of surgeons or states have outlawed it because of uh, things with the the pieces that go in and it doesn't have good long-term effects. Um, so I went with the, the bariatric sleeve and basically they cut your stomach into uh, a shape of a banana. Um, and so whereas let's just say you could consume a cup of food or maybe two cups of food. Now you're only down to, I'm going to say a half a cup or less of food, but it's shaped like a banana. Um, they don't reroute all your organs and stuff. They just go and cut it. Uh, um, for lack of a better term, staple it up, send you on your way in three days. So basically, it sounds like what they're doing there, and we could entirely be scientifically wrong, is if your stomach is like shaped like this, they're effectively cutting it down so that it's same shape, but much, much smaller. Yes, much smaller. Yep. Yep. And so the um, with that procedure, you go in normal is to stay three days, no more than four. Insurance doesn't want to pay for four, but it's normally three days just to monitor you. It's in and out. It's laparoscopic. Boom, boom, boom. Keep it moving. Next patient on the table. So I had surgery. Let's just say it was a Wednesday. I remember it was December 17, 2019. Um, I was the first patient of the day. And um, I had my surgery. Everything went good. Came out. No issues. Was drinking the little teeny sips of water that they told me to do. Everything was fine. No problem. The day that I was supposed to be discharged, I had these excruciating, like, deathly 
stomach pains, boo. Like, worse, you wouldn't know, but it's worse than childbirth. Like, childbirth on 1,006. Like, just send me to hell. That, that's the type of pain that they were. It's very rare for a lady to say something along those lines who has had a baby and something else. Yeah, yeah. Usually childbirth is the top. Yes, it was, it topped that. And um, so my nurses just kept brushing me off. They said, oh, you drank too much water. And that's what it is. It's just normal. You got to get up and walk and get the gas out of your stomach. The last thing I remember is I was down on the floor because I had passed out. And I was screaming and I was in so much pain. You were on the floor screaming in so much pain. And it's sort of like, honey, you got to get up. It's just water. They just kind of brushed it off. After that, I don't remember much. I'm going to give you the account based on what um, my parents told me, which I have no reason not to believe them. And it's, you know, all of my medical documentation. But what happened was I got a blood clot in my small intestine. This is the kicker. I had issues with clotting before the surgery, which my doctor knew about. I was on uh, Lovenox injections, which is a blood thinner that you have to take twice a day. It's a needle. And he knew that. So prior to the surgery, he took me off of it. For somebody that has existing blood clot issues, that's probably not a good thing to do because it's going to happen again. It's bound to happen. It just depends on how soon it's going to happen. So I had been off my medication probably for about two months. Um, he knew that. Uh, my blood doctor, um, which is really a good friend now, family, like he suggested that I didn't do it. I ignored him because I just thought he didn't want to be skinny. He didn't want me to go on to be looking like Beyonce and stuff for whatever personal reasons. But so I, I did, I went against everybody and my better judgment. So I got a small blood clot in my intestine. The week of the surgery, I had three surgeries. I had the bariatrics, the weight loss surgery, and I had two surgeries after that. The blood clot caused my small intestine to start to die off. So they went in, they, they opened me up. Um, they cut out some of my small intestine. It continued to die. So they went back in and cut out 90% of the small intestine. Oh, God. From there, um, I was in a coma for a couple of weeks. I was in ICU for a, a long time. A lot of things I don't remember because I was, you know, so doped up and things like that. And at one point they told my parents, you know, we're not sure. You know, you might want to have a conversation with the family um, and her daughter um, because it's just not looking good. We're unable to stabilize her. Um, apparently, my, my blood pressure was high. Never had an um, issue with my blood pressure. Bleeding. The effects of having two major surgeries, three major surgeries in a week. They just couldn't stabilize me. Um, and my stomach was open. Most of my time in the hospital, they put what's called a med back on your stomach to keep, you know, of course, um, infection from forming and things like that. But my stomach was wide open because they couldn't run the risk of my intestine continuing to uh, die and having to reopen me back up again. So they just left you open. They just left me open for a long time. Oh, God. Wow. Um, yeah. So when you finally came to by that time, had you been stabilized? Well, I, I remember this, Bruce. When I was in my, when I was in a coma, um, and everybody's experience is different. I can only speak on mine. When I was in a coma, I can remember hearing people, not what they were actually saying, but I could hear people talking around me, and I remember just screaming, like, "Can you guys hear me? I'm in here, like trying to move my body." I remember that, and just like, "Hey, I'm in here," you know. 
like screaming, you know, like I'm here. I don't know if you guys know if I'm here, but I'm here. I didn't know what was going on, but I could hear people around me. And then there was one time I remember my mom touching me. I didn't know that it was her, but I knew that it was her because of the type of connection we had. And I remember being in whatever I was in at the time. I didn't know. God, just let me make, just let me make it through this. After that, I don't remember much. Um, the next thing that I do remember is before I, I want to ask you a question because I don't have the opportunity to ever ask this question. So yeah, you were yeah. in the coma, but you were aware of voices, you were aware of presence, you were aware of people, and you were aware of touch, and you could identify it as your mother. But were you aware of time? Like, was it just like being locked in your body, or just it were these impressions that floated in and out? Yes, it, it's like Bruce. That was the most scariest thing I've ever experienced in life because. You don't have a sense of time. Uh, you uh, Time is the least thing, the last thing on your mind, but it's like being trapped. Like somebody is burying your life. That's my experience. It, it felt like I was being buried alive. Like I wasn't sure where I was, but I could hear them. They couldn't hear me. So I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know at the time that I was in a coma. And I'm just like, I'm there, but they can't hear me. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I'm screaming, I'm yelling, and they couldn't hear me. And I just remember talking to God, like, man, just help me. Whatever this is, just help me make it through. I promise I'm going to be a better person and get my life together after this. And then I remember waking up one time and they had to give me a blood transfusion. Remember that kind of vaguely waking up. My, my dad and my uncle were there. And then the next time that I started to have uh, memories is when... Uh, they had, I think my mom said, okay, enough is enough. I don't know if they forcibly woke me up or what happened, but I, I remember waking up and like, what's going on? Like I had no clue what was going on. I thought I had been in like a car accident or something. No sense of anything. So just this weird skip in your life that you had to start piecing back together after the fact. Yeah, yeah. Once you were out of the coma, once you were back to the start of being you again what was the recovery like from there Bruce I don't think I ever since then have ever felt like I've gotten back to being me again and I'll tell you nothing and that's not a negative thing I'll tell you once things started to I can't even say get on the up and up but things started to become memories and I could process what was going on. It probably was when I was released from the hospital, the day that I was released, because I had been there so long um, and I just wanted to go home. I wanted to be in my own bed. I wanted this nightmare to be over. And I just felt, and I just, you know, I knew that things had changed. My body was going to be different. You know, just life was going to be different overall. But I just wanted to be home on my bed. And I just knew that if I could get home and get in my bed, things would be perfect. That's what I thought. So I'm still in this capacity of that. Okay, that's all right. This just happened. It's just a little blip in the, you know, in the radar. We'll be fine. Everything's going to be perfect. Nearly dying's not a big problem if I get thin at the end of it. Right. It'll be fine. Exactly. What they did not prepare me for going home, uh, leaving the hospital, because the priority was stabilizing me. Nobody focused on preparing me to go home in this new life and what was going to happen. So when I got home, I mean, excuse me, all hell broke loose and it got worse. It got worse. And I almost felt like um, there were a lot of times Bruce doing this whole process and it's been a two year process. I just felt like I didn't want to be here because it was I was not prepared for what was going to happen. I like, mean, when you say 
all hell broke loose. What was what was hell? Going home, I was on what's called TPN, which is nutrition do um intravenously. So it's like having an IV. You have to wear it for 24 hours. It's this big 10-pound bag of this milk concoction thing. You gotta put it in, you gotta You make it sound so appealing. Yeah, I mean it's like this milk concoction thing, and it's a 10-pound bag. You're already stupid weak, and you gotta carry this 10-pound bag connected to you wherever you go. You got to keep it sanitized. It's like they, you're becoming a doctor now at home. And I got home. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I was in the worst pain of my life. Like, I had never... My stomach... I, I didn't even know your stomach could hurt this bad. Um, my, my back hurt. My legs hurt. And I just began to get weaker and weaker all the time. I was depressed. Of course. And it was this new life that I had, and I'm going to say created for myself, that... I wasn't prepared for. How many weeks post-surgery was this getting home? Because you were in the hospital for a while. Uh, 10 weeks. 10 weeks. And I, I left the hospital right before COVID hit. Like, literally, let's just say the day before COVID hit. Wow. I'm thankful for that. But, yeah, so it was it was an uphill battle. Like, I had to learn how to eat. And what was that like now with, like, this shrunk, shrunken in stomach? Shrunken in stomach. That I don't know if that's exactly right, but... Not important. <laughs> this, this new stomach, an intense pain. You know, currently you're being fed by some kind of, as you so appealingly put it, milk concoction. Yeah. And don't forget it's 10 pounds. It is 10 pounds. Well, hopefully by the end of the day, it's less. Oh, and don't forget uh, 90. I only have 10% of my small intestine left. 90% of your small intestine, which is the nutrient absorption. Mm-hmm. So what was it like when you started eating again? Bruce, I didn't eat, start eating until 10 months after the procedure. I didn't start eating until I came home about, let's say, February, right before. Like, literally. Yeah, I didn't start eating solid food until probably uh, November, December of 2020. Yeah, about maybe November, yeah, probably towards the end of December. Um, Because I couldn't process it. I would get sick, would throw up. So, I mean, you literally would take a bite of one thing. Here's this piece of, let's go as bland as humanly possible. You've got this small bowl of white rice, and you took a fork of white rice, and you couldn't even deal with that. Oh, I wasn't even, I, I didn't even get to rice. I was only on broth, um, like Campbell's soup, noodles, um, broth, and couldn't eat that. Couldn't keep it down. Well, in fairness, we're talking Campbell's soup, so. Okay, good. good okay, but I like it. Okay, but no. So broth, a little bit of noodles. We did try oatmeal and rice. That's what the nutritionist suggested. Couldn't do it. So I was on TPM for a while. The process was hard because I had this new body that I had to deal with on top of the, the mental stress it caused, on top of the fact that I was in a, I was eight hours away from my family. My daughter and I live in Georgia. We don't have family here. So my family had to commute from Boston and Maryland. My dad's from Boston. My mom is from Maryland. Commute to take care of me every week. So that stopped their lives. Basically, you had a 13-year-old daughter yes. who then had to become a part-time, if not full-time, caretaker to you. She did. Bathing me, feeding me, um, helping me get up to walk. Because at this point, over a couple of months, when you don't walk, you lose you know, your muscle, whatever they call it. Yeah, your muscles would have atrophied. So I'm falling all over the house. This is a 13-year-old girl now having to pick up let's say, uh, a 275 woman or help a 275-pound woman get up off of the floor. 
literally 13 year old going on to 30 years old because she doesn't have the yeah. option not to step up. Exactly. Oh, and with the pandemic, mm-hmm. she's having to learn how to go to school online. So she's going to school, taking care of me in between classes, you know. It was it was stressful, and the the burden that I put on my parents they had lives too, or they had lives too, and so they literally had to stop their lives to accommodate taking care of me. So they would come, my mom would come one week, my dad would come, so they would alternate, and um, they did this for about seven months. I was able to keep myself afloat with my savings and stuff for about seven months. Clearly, prior to this, you were working. Yeah, yeah, I worked for the um the uh, postal service for fifteen years. I had been in the postal service for fifteen years. So I was established but after seven months you know my job was continuing to pay my benefits but my leave had ran out you know my savings um what I had and I lost everything my house my car you know I wasn't able to work so I'm at this path and I'm and I have to at that time I think 37 or 38 one move to Boston with my dad and then eventually moved to Maryland with my mom for them to take care of me because you got to remember I couldn't bathe I couldn't walk I couldn't write. I had I lost the uh, functionality in my hands. I was barely, I'm going to be honest with you. When people say check out, I definitely had checked out. I checked out probably right when I got home and I realized what was happening mentally. So I wasn't able to make decisions for myself, yeah. you know, and be coherent about it. So they were taking care of me, you know, take care of my health and doing my paperwork and, you know, finalizing everything, you know, with my home and my car and my daughter and things like that. And so it was a long hurdle, you know, and that's not even, that's just the tip of the iceberg, you know? And all of this came out of just this pressure to lose weight, this sense that you weren't enough because of being heavy. Yes. Yes. Came from, and I didn't grow up. You know how most people say, well, my family treated me that way. Never. My family never made me feel different. I was always the chubbier one in the family. They never made jokes about my weight never made me feel less than if anything they always encouraged me and my family definitely didn't want me to have it but they said we'll support you but we don't want you to have it um and just going back um Bruce the day that I had the surgery I knew I wasn't supposed to have it you know how you get that feeling something wrong it happened to me three times when I first arrived to the hospital when I went back for pre-op and I was holding my daughter's hand I said I shouldn't have it then this is the kicker see I'm hard-headed when they put me under with the anesthesiologist the first time, they had to wake me up because something got caught in my throat. So they woke me up to say, something got caught in your throat, but we're going to put you back under again. Are you sure you want to do this? The lady actually asked me that. That's rare for an anesthesiologist to ask you that. She was like, are you sure you want to do this? I said, yeah, put me back under quickly so we can get this over with. Mm. So I'm hard-headed. You know, I can laugh about it in retrospect now. I'm not making light of it because it's funny, uh, because it's serious. I want somebody to know that these things happen. This is a reality that can happen. Yeah, it's an elective invasive thing, and there are risks, and so, and those risks are high. Even if they might be rare, they still yes. are very, very high. And to some degree, I mean, you survived, which is, yeah, you know, thankfully you did, but it took a chunk out of your life. And also with your, even with your parents, Mm -hmm. like, and your family not judging you, there's an entire society that whether there's intent or not, does it 
automatically in the background. It's sort of the yes. background noise of the world. Yes. People who are heavy are looked down upon, and it's still somewhat more acceptable than just about any other mm-hmm. form of ism. Yes. Getting back to where you were, let's just ask this question and get it out of the way. Did the surgery do its intended job on you? Did you lose the weight? From a medical perspective, I did lose the weight. I lost 100 pounds in the first two months, which is not normal. That They tell you that. It should not happen like that. Yes. So from a medical point of view, if we're, we're basing it on weight, I did. I lost the weight. Yay. We'll get into that, but yeah, you know what I mean? I did. I lost the weight. So when I started, I was 315. I'm now 200. You know, I lost, I got all the way down to 130. My at my lowest when I was sick, and I'm back up to 200. You've checked out. You've been like your family have exported you first up to Boston, then down to Maryland. Uh, you, your mother and father both have done this. You know, they stepped up as parents do and took care of their little girl. Yeah. And your little girl stepped up in a way that parents do. Yes. Took care of you in a way that she clearly would not have been ready for yes um and just showed a lot of strength and character whether she had it or not she certainly developed it she did and that's um something she is to absolutely be commended for yeah how did you begin to turn yourself around how did you check back in okay so i spent 2020 we could just blank that whole year out i was depressed i was angry at everybody but myself i was angry at the doctor angry at my my first doctor, because she didn't push it more. So I, I spent 2020 being honest, blaming other people. I did. I, I, I wish I had like, a nice story to tell you, but I spent 2020 blaming everybody. My birthday is December 31st, and um, I'm really big on my birthday. December 31st, 2020, I was in a medical bed, you know, at my father's house. I was super depressed. Um, I had cut my my hair out. I had like some psychotic break. That's another time for another show. And I just was just, I just wasn't there. You know what I mean? And I remember just sitting on my bed or in the bed, not sitting, on the, in the bed crying. And my daughter came upstairs and she was like, mom, what's going on? You know, it's your birthday. You know, she was like, mom, can, at least today, can you just, she was like, can you at least just be happy for me today? I just want to see you happy. And I just cried. That made it worse. I cried all day. And my daughter just kind of curled up in the, the bed by me and brushed my hair. And, you know, even though my hair was cut in patches, and just kind of told me everything was going to be okay. And that was that. And that evening, I was talking to my aunt. Um, she, We're really close. And th- these are what I'm about to say is nothing that nobody has ever not told me. I've heard it. But sometimes it's different coming from someone that's not your parent. Right. And so I was just complaining. And rightfully so. I think I had a right to complain at that time. And she, my aunt is very loving with me, you know. And she's not aggressive with me. But she just said, you know... She said, okay, so at what point are you going to take responsibility for what you did and learn to forgive yourself? She said, because that's the only way you're going to get through this. She was like, it's a whole bunch of shoulda, coulda, wouldas. Um, Somebody could have did this. Somebody could have did that. She said, but you created this environment and this situation for yourself because of a decision that you made. And she said, on top of that, she was like, I understand what you're going through. She said, but you could be dead. She said, because somebody's mom or daughter or cousin had the surgery and didn't make it. Mm-hmm. She said, at what point do you take responsibility and say, you know what? I messed up. I blurbed on this one, should have listened, and pick yourself up off the ground. From that day forward, that's when I made a decision. Okay, I got to change this. I was in a wheelchair. 
I got tired of waiting, you know, for somebody to feed me, to be bathed. It's embarrassing. It's humbling. And I made a decision after that. I said, you know what? I got to forgive myself. And once I started to forgive myself, that's when I started to heal. That I mean, it, it was almost immediate. Bruce. It's like it just shot off. You know, I just I started to be more diligent in physical therapy because I was in physical therapy. But I just was resolved with being in the wheelchair for the rest of my life. I said, you know, the hell with them. They don't know what they talk about. I'm just this is God hates me. I'm just going to be here for the rest of my life. My health will never get better. And so then I started to be more diligent and intentional with things and started to forgive myself and pick up the pieces and started. Then I snapped back into it. It's like my mind clicked and said, "Okay, you got to work. You got to do this. This is where we are. Let's start. Let's do it. And um, that's when things started to change for me physically and mentally. And I'll tell you this. I, I think one feel in the medical um, arena, who the people who don't get a lot of praise are physical therapists. Had it not been for the team of physical therapists um, that God put in my life, I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't. Not just from a, a physical point. Yes, they helped me to be able to write again to walk, to hold a toothbrush, to pick, you know, to be able to do basic things, go to the bathroom, but they encouraged me. It's it's almost like you cannot be a physical therapist and not have the mental capacity for it too, because it's got to be hard. I'll tell you one pivotal moment that taught me to really take a hold of my physical health even better. And my therapist asked me, he said, um, what's your biggest fear? And my biggest fear was falling out of my wheelchair or falling when I was using my walker. Because when I was in the hospital, one of my physical therapists dropped me. So that was always a fear of mine. He said, okay, today we're going to get over that fear. And he told me, he pulled my wheelchair up. He said, get on the floor. And I said, what? Get on the floor. He said, get out of the chair and get on the floor. And he made, and from that day on, he taught me how to get up off of the floor. He said, this is the lowest you can get. And once I learned to be able to get myself, my body up off of the floor, it was just uphill from there. Like, it's just like a night and day. You might have saw me on Monday and I was in a wheelchair. And then the next Monday I was walking. I, it just, you know, it just happened just like that. When I decided to take control of my physical body, what I could take control of and started to tell my body, no, we're going to push through this. You know, that's when things started to get better. And then each success built on to another success. And the more you could do, the more you could do. Yes. Yes. How long did that rebuilding? Pr- I, I know that you are still rebuilding, but there's trying to get back to where you were prior. And then there was like, I was at my physical bottom and now I'm, I'm really functional. How long did it, did that journey take? It's still ongoing, but now, Bruce, of course, you know, I've been walk. I started to actually walk. Uh, I think it was March of 2021. And when I say walk, you know, with my walker, then I use the cane. And then I think in June of 2021, no, I think of May of 2021, I made the decision I wasn't going to use my cane. And I started to, you know, do balancing. Now, at that time, I couldn't, I couldn't walk and chew gum, so I can only do one. I could, It was going to be walk. I couldn't walk and talk, but it was going to be walk or I was going to sit down. It's going to be one or the other. Now it's 2022. I'm going to say I feel like I'm 100%, but there's some things that I can, st- you know, like lifting. I can't, I'm not as, you know, I can't lift a 75-pound bag. I, I can try, but, you know, but walking, getting around, climbing, doing different things, I'm I'm at full capacity with that. But it's still a strength, you know, still got work with some strength things. 
you're not ready to go into a powerlifting competition currently. Right. I think I felt most comfortable, let's say, uh, if I needed to go in a store by myself, let's say me and you pulled up to a CVS and you said run into a store. I think I was able to do that probably in uh, July of 2021, where I say, okay, Bruce, I'm going by myself, you know, without knowing somebody was there. You know what I mean? So, Have you been able to return to work or are you still? No, I'm on um, disability now. Okay. I have what's called neuropathy. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but if you're not. Please lay it out for the audience. Yeah. Neuropathy is a neurological um, condition is damaged to the nerves. So what happened um, when I was sick, because there was a vitamin deficiency, I was not getting the proper vitamins because I wasn't eating, even though I was on the TPN. It still wasn't enough. My body wasn't. It wasn't complete. It wasn't complete. There was damage to my nervous system. And so basically what it is, is that my hands and my feet tingle, but it's an excruciating pins constant feel. Like it feels like somebody's sticking me with needles constantly. It's more, it's worse in my feet than it is in my hands. And that's 24 seven. That's never stop. It's 24 seven. Um, and it's not a condition that can be treated by, uh, uh, you know, drugs and things of that nature. There's uh, specific nerve damage uh, medicine that I have to take. It helps. It's hit or miss some days. Some days are better than others. It's something that just, it's just it, it hasn't gone away. Can it? Yeah, but with the damage that I had, they're not sure. You know what I mean? So um, there are times when I get up in the morning, I cannot walk. And when I say walk, it, it takes me a little while to feel my feet like having a loss of feeling in your hands and your feet so i'll walk sometimes bruce and not it doesn't register to my brain that there's feeling there like you can walk you can put your left right left right so sometimes there'll be a imbalance there with that so yeah things that we take for granted sometimes you really have to focus on yeah 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 since you made the decision and your aunt also kind of kicked you metaphorically in the butt to get you moving into the right direction do you find that there is any long-term psychological ramifications? Have you managed to cope with it? And now well, it's in its proper place, if that makes any sense, emotionally speaking. Yeah, there is definitely long-term um, psychological effects to what happened. I, and I think it doesn't, it's not coming from the health point of view. I think with um, all of the moving around adjustments that we needed to make. Uh, as anybody knows, living with family, you get to know them. It's different when you just have a phone conversation with family. Yes. And you just talk to them as opposed to living with them, seeing how it affected my daughter. I don't want to say I'm terrified of hospitals, but I don't want to go to hospitals because I've seen so many things that have happened in the background, how nasty they can be as far as, you know, cleanliness, how... Uh, it, it only takes one second for a nurse or somebody to give you the wrong medication. Um, and I tend to associate hospitals with long stays because I was doing this process in and out of the hospital. I went to the hospital probably three or four times a month and stayed every time. So, yeah, from that point of view, there are. As I, you know, get to those hurdles, I have to learn to, um, you know, just handle them as they are. But uh, I think the, the psychological issue that, really did it for me was trying to recapture that time with my daughter because when this started she was 13 she's now 15 and you know we were having when we moved back to Georgia on our own we were having a little difficulties nothing 
you know, she wasn't being disrespectful, but I, I felt like I couldn't connect to her. She's a 13-year-old girl. Of course you're having difficulties connecting. Of course. Anyway, anyway. But I was talking to my grandmother about it, and she was like, you got to remember, it's not just about you. She went through this, too. And she said, can you imagine one day being 13, and then now you got to be 46 mm -hmm. and take care of a grown woman and make sure that she's bathed and cook and clean the house and wash clothes and make sure she's everything sanitized until, you know, the adult comes back into town. So that that um definitely had some psychological effects on both my daughter, myself and my daughter. But, you know, I just deal with them as they come. But uh, the most important thing with her to help us get over that is that we had to have hard conversations. I had to have tell her the truth why I was having the surgery and apologize, you know, and understand where she's coming from too. You know, that has to be hard going to see your mother in ICU. She's all got these wires and stuff all in her mouth and they're telling you they don't know if your mom's gonna make it. So but also too it's take it's caused us both to take better control of our health. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um as far as eating healthy, uh she helps me. Uh, I do yoga. I did it before, but I started back doing yoga and she helps me with strengthening exercises and just different things. So we spend a lot of time cooking trying to stay healthy with each other. Which I'm sure also provides a bonding time, cooking together and preparing. and It is. It is. Yeah, yeah. How do you fill your days these days? I do a lot of writing because I am able to write at times. So when, when my hands are not killing me or cramped up, I do try to write. I try to um, be an advocate as best as I know how for other women who are in my situation or other women trying to, you know, maybe consider having a surgery. I tell people I'm not an advocate for people to not have the surgery. I want people to make their own informed decision because I know tons of people now having had had it and been in support groups that had successful journeys and it worked out for them. But I want people to know what can happen, even though this was a, a unique situation, but it can happen. And people do die from it you know, the effects of it more often than we, than we know. The numbers are staggering. So I just try to be an advocate for women uh, with self-esteem because it, it starts there. It's so much bigger than just the surgery. And I get it. I think, um, you know, people need to have it for health and medical reasons, of course. But sometimes people are just having it for aesthetic reasons. You know what I mean? And I don't think that's a bad thing. If you really want to have it for aesthetic reasons, if that's your objective, but you need to be clear on why. Like, what do you expect to get? Why are you doing this? You know what I mean? Do you think life is going to be better? Do you think men are going to be, men or women are going to be more attracted to you? Do you think you're going to advance in your career? You have to start there. And then maybe that will help you to identify, I shouldn't have this for just aesthetic reasons. Because even though I'm smaller now, Bruce, I still have insecurities. I'm smaller. I'm not as shapely as I used to be. It's a good thing, but it annoys me when my daughter and I go out and people think we're sisters. When we go out to eat, they'll say, okay, is it one check or two? And I'm like, she's 15. She doesn't have a job. You know what I mean? And I don't want to complain because, you know, I don't want to complain, but it's like, you know what I mean? It's, it's still an insecurity to me because it's like, do I look like a teenager? I don't want to look like a teenager. You know what I mean? So it's still, I still have insecurities being small. I mean, I think ultimately with insecurities, because as I describe myself constantly, I was 280 pounds around 11 years old. So no matter how old I get, no matter what shape I'm in, and no matter what, I'm still this 280 pound 11 year old behind my eyes. No matter what, I'm still the kid whom 
other adults in the neighborhood would point to me and make their kids feel better at because they weren't me. Yeah, yeah. But no amount of being in shape, no amount of anything I've done has ever changed that. The reality is, is when I had to go into the dating pool after years, because I was a serial monogamous, because I was afraid I would never meet somebody, because why would they be attracted to me? Yes, yes. I was successful because apparently I'm not the hideous beast I think I am. That you think you're. Yes, yes, been there. You know, there's no diet that'll change that. And you know that now. It won't. Yeah, I know that. Yeah. I know it here in my head, but I don't really get it here in my heart. And unfortunately, that pulls more weight. Right. It does. It does. I'll give you a perfect example of that. I felt the same way. Um, and uh, when I started dating, I I slipped through my dating years, too. I'm just being candid, kind of sleeping around because I felt like I just wasn't good enough. Nobody, who would want to be with chubby cheeks? You know what I mean? Um, you know, my, my thighs rubbed together. I had a stomach. You know, I was funny. And that's what kept me a lot of times, kept me kind of floating. I would always make jokes about myself because somebody else could. Mm -hmm. I didn't want you to think me being fat hurt me. Right. You know, even if it did, I didn't want you to think it did. You had a disarming wit that yeah. you would dis yeah. you would you would um disable the landmines before they could go off. Yes, exactly. And so um I met this guy years ago when I was in my late twenties and he you know, of course I was plus size then and um we connected and he loved me and just want to be with me but I, I you know Bruce I just didn't feel good enough I'm gonna be honest with you I just didn't feel good enough and you know I just I stayed away from him I liked him but I stayed away from him we reconnected he reached out to me in 2021 we, we reconnected and we got to talking and stuff and Bruce it was so I had so much anxiety talking to him because I didn't know do I tell him now I don't look the same that I look like a, a a skinny little little boy you know what I mean do I tell him now do because he he knew me this way but and it just was it was just like such a build-up and I I stopped talking to him and he reached back out and I just blurted out I said look I'm not fat anymore I'm skinny my arms sag I can barely sometimes I can barely walk my feet hurt all the time and um you know I don't have any breasts or butt there it is <laughs> and he's on the phone and he's just like okay he was like Okay. He was like, okay. He was like, is there, you know, he was like, is, you know, was there a premise to that? He's like, did I make you feel like you needed to say this? I said, no, I just want you to know. I got a lot of health issues going on. You know, I don't, you know, this is just what it is. I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to have kids again because the way my stomach is wide. And I just let it all out because I just wasn't, I wasn't sure. And even before us, you know, we have a video chat and people are probably like, why didn't y'all just video chat? Because we didn't because I was like, I lied. I was like, you know, my phone is broken. Whose camera is broken? You know, there's other ways to do it. But anyway, and we just reconnected slowly and we found him seeing me, you know, when I was ready, you know, when I was ready to video chat because we were in different states. When I was ready to video chat on FaceTime, he that's when I did it. It was no pressure. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And we've been together since then. And it's not a. You know, he doesn't give me the, oh, oh, you know, baby, you know, I, you know, the fake, you know, baby, I'm, you know, just, you know how people get fake and they say stuff just to make you feel better. Mm -hmm. He's like, you know what? I love you the way that you were then. I love you the way that you are now. But if there's any way that I can help you feel better, I will. But that's something that you need to work on. And he told me that. And that kind of, 
it hurt, but it made me, like you said, um, you know it here, but you got to know it in your heart. Yeah. We're good enough whether we're 400 pounds or we're 96. It doesn't matter. You know what I mean? And I, I, I hate when people say, oh, somebody out there, uh, you know, that loves everybody. And that's true. But you got to love yourself first in order for them to love you properly or you to love them properly. Right. There's in having a balanced relationship that actually is healthy and work. You have to be a complete person. There's nobody out there to complete you. If you need somebody to complete you, that person's you. Yes. And yes. you got a lot of work. Yes. And that's just the way it is. And sometimes it takes a couple bad relationships or it takes nearly dying on an operating table. It takes yes. something external to make you go, oh man, for most of my life, I was full of shit in one form or another. Yeah. On the one hand, it's fortunate it did happen. Yeah. It is yes. highly unfortunate the way it happened. Yes, yes. One, congratulations. It's good to know that you found somebody whom, to be honest with you, was sort of like, hey, early on, I would have liked to have thrown in here that I never did not like you. And there was an entire you, not just your boobs and your butt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have degrees of body dysmorphia. And you... We do. I know what you're talking about in your head, even as you know these things, is nothing I'm seeing on the screen. Right, right. I don't normally comment on people's degree of attractiveness because part of the entire point of this is it doesn't really matter. Right. But it's sort of like, there is a very lovely looking lady. That's sort of the extent of where I, I would be, but I know you can't see that. Yeah. Even if you accept it about yourself, I know for a fact you can and probably never will actually see that. And in the moments you can, it'll be fleeting. Yeah. And, and, and that's something, you know, you're right. I, I, you know, I know now I'm not a bad look. I'm talking, you know, from a physical, I'm not a bad looking woman, but then there's times, you know, I, you know, I go out, you know, I feel really, really good. And then I go out and I see somebody and I just kind of, you know, I see another attractive young looking lady that might be a little, you know, bigger than me. And I'm like, you know, I wonder what, you know, uh, you know, my, my partner, you know, would he rather me be this way? And I, you know, I have to take that negative talk out. Like yeah. it's a, it's an ongoing thing, even something stupid, Bruce, cause I'm a Capricorn. We overthink everything. Just hear me out on it. This is going to sound so stupid. Please be stupid. Enjoy it. My, my, my partner, I, I have never seen anybody he's ever dated. I have never, never cared to never. It's just not who he is. I, he doesn't put out his business out on social media. And it's, it shouldn't be my concern, but I didn't want to go. I lied about wanting to go meet his family because I was thinking in my mind, like I, I, I went up to, I went up to Maryland cause that's where they are. Um, you know, I, I packed and, you know, I had everything all planned up the day that I was supposed to do it. I backed out and said that I had the flu in the, in the summertime, I had the flu in the summertime and I couldn't come. I got the flu out of nowhere. I mean, we all get the summertime flu at some, one point or another. In the summertime, um, it came out of nowhere. I was fine the night before, but I had the flu. And I had the flu. My temperature was 103 because, I, you know, I'm dramatic. I added that on. Mm -hmm. I should not be able. And I said, but it's 103. By the way, not to enable you in this deceitful lying, not to help you paint a better picture in the future, but... Your mistake is you didn't go with food poisoning. I should have. No, I'm not done. I should have. So I have 103 temperature. Right. Then I call back and I say, you know what? Um, now they think it might be COVID. 
Excuse me. I'm sorry. There's plenty of testing out here to know if you have it. And I was at the hospital, so why didn't they test? Neither here nor there. So what I'm going to do is I'm well enough to drive the nine hours back to Georgia with the flu. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I can't meet your family. And you know why I didn't want to meet his family? Because I was afraid they would want to say, this isn't his type. You know, what did he get this little girl with this little little boy body? You know what I'm saying? And I put it off. You know what I mean? I've never seen anybody he's dating, and it's not my concern. shouldn't be my concern. But it, like you said, it's fleeting. We have our moments when we're great. And then we have our moments, you know, that we have to that we have to really push ourselves and say, you know what? I don't give a damn. I'm here living. And whoever uh, wants to join this bandwagon, cool. If you don't want to join my bandwagon, then so be it. There's an interesting thing you keep saying, little boy body. So it sounds like the way your body dysmorphia displays itself shifted because before you were curvy and you were just yeah. big. And then you lost your curves yeah. um, because you lost the weight. And now you've got a little boy body. Now you're not really a woman. Yes. Thank you. And I'm glad that you touched on that um, because, and I'm, and I'm just speaking candidly in the African-American community, um, our hair and our bodies and the fact that we can, we can, we are able to have children or marry or something that we deem uh, make us a woman, make us whole. So you have to have four of those things. You know what I mean? If you have mm-hmm. all of them, great. But the less you have, the less you feel like uh, acceptable you know what i mean um I, I do have a child i'm not married um you know what i mean i'm not curvy you know so um i felt less than and i felt that you know my me being heavier or, or more curvy solidified me being a woman i'm still a woman regardless it didn't change you know what i mean i wasn't born a boy you know what i mean or male so it doesn't change because now my body has changed and i had to learn to not think less of myself in that manner so it's a whole lot of different components with having with learning how to love yourself you can't just say oh yeah i'm attractive i love myself that you know come on it's it's so much more than that and so it's a process i'm still learning you know hey tiana this is what it is you know what i mean okay i might wear a size you know my girlfriend sometimes tease me in in fun not trying to be hard you know because i wear a medium and somebody might say well geez i would love to wear a medium but sometimes I'm like, geez, I would love to not have to shop at Children's Place. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I'm joking, guys. I, I can't shop at Children's Place. But you know what I'm saying. Even though we've talked, you know, the head versus the heart, do you think that you've been learning? Do you feel that you are in a, in a much better place on the journey of accepting yourself? Much better. Much better. I have never been ever in my life, Bruce, and um, I have never been as confident as I am now. Like I said, I have my days. Some days are better than others. Mm -hmm. But not in confidence, you know, not in an arrogant way. But you know what? One, I'm thankful to be alive, whether I have, whether I wear a size double X or whether I wear an extra small. I'm I'm, first, I'm happy to be alive. And I'm here for a reason. Um, This just didn't happen to me for me. You know, this is an opportunity to share with other people, other women, you know, so they don't have to go through the same thing and feel the same way. You know what I mean? Or feel alone. You know, I just if if one person can hear my story and say, you know what, I'm good enough where I'm at. That's fine with me. You know what I mean? But I I feel better um, as far as my, you know, who I am, what I want out of my life. 
and I'm more clear. Um, prior to having the surgery, um, and that's that's a whole nother aspect uh, for another show. I was a jerk. I was mean. I was uh, manipulative. Um, I was angry at everybody because I felt like they didn't really want to deal with me. They just wanted, you know, something from me from a financial point of view. The world was out to get you. Yeah, they were out to get me. And so I just wasn't really nice because I wasn't happy with myself. So that changed me too. And I'm thankful for that. Do you think your example, what you went through, has helped teach your daughter better priorities, better way of looking at herself? Yes. Is she a confident young woman as opposed to worried about conforming to societal norms and stuff like that? Bruce, when I tell you I wish I could be, at my daughter's age, I wish I could have been a quarter of the person she is, and not just because she my, she's my daughter, but if I didn't know her, the confidence that she has in herself, she's very humble, but she's kind of like, you know what? Um, and she's, and she's, you know, um, and I want to use the right word. She's, I guess what the world would consider, you know, a plus size team, whatever. We don't have, we don't use those types of terms in our house, but I'm trying to give the audience some a picture, but, um, and she's, she's just like, Hey, you know, it is what it is. You know, I, 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 I like to have fun. I am educated. I'm on the debate club. I'm an avid reader. I volunteer in my community. I'm so much more than what I look like, you know, and I, I get good grades. I'm respect. I'm respectful. Um, I help out as best as I can. Um, I'm going to culinary school. You know, I have my career kind of planned out, you know, and she's, she's okay with herself. You know, I'm, I wish I had that confidence, you know, and I, and I do talk to her about it. You know, I'm like, you know, how do you feel about this? And she's like, mom, I'm, I'm okay. And she's really unlike me. I needed a lot of attention growing up. She doesn't. So she has a group of friends. It's three of three, three or four of them, four of them. I'm sorry. And they are, when I say Bruce, they are the most unique group of friends. Like I wouldn't clump them together. Like I would never think this would be a friend group because they all have different personalities and she's okay with her friend group. She doesn't try to fit in. Um, she, you know, she knows what she's like. She's clear on what she's like and she has her limitations. And I wasn't like that when I was her age. So I admire that about her. I do talk to her about the surgery. I'm like, you know, I never want you to have it. And she's like, mom, she's like, not just because you went through it. She was like, but I would never do it. She was like, because I, I just can't. She was like, I just can't. It's just too much. You know, that's what the kids say. I just can't. It's just too much going on. Sounds like she can just look up at the sky and see a finger pointing going, you are here and knowing who she is. Yeah. yeah. And that's great. Um, and there's nothing wrong with having a small circle of good friends and it doesn't matter what shape, size, or personality they are. Cause you know, they yeah. fulfill the need that each of them need, which is a good friend. Mm -hmm. That's it. In kind of coming to a, a wrap up on all of this, what bits of advice do you think you could give in part to people listening and having heard this story and how you got to where you got to the advice, a couple of things i would say um and this all takes uh, putting in perspective this is a maturity thing and it's a it's a, a personal thing so everybody's not going to be able to do it and and what but i hope that they will the first thing i would say is follow your instincts if something tells you something is off if it doesn't feel good um, you know, whatever belief system you have, whatever God you believe in or what you don't believe in, follow what's in your gut. If it's not lining up and it's super, super difficult, um, and there's one thing to, and I tell people, 
there's one thing to pursue something and you have to work hard for it. But then there's another thing pursuing something that just is not in alignment with where you are in life or what you really need to be doing at that time. So one, the first thing I would say is follow your gut instincts. Listen to it. I don't care if you're doing something and you get right up to the second. If you're not comfortable with it or something doesn't feel right, stop because there's a reason. Yeah, I think basically you've got to remember that your gut is desperately trying to protect you from not getting eaten by something. So if it's screaming at you, there's something wrong. The other thing I know it'd be cute to say, you know, love yourself, trust yourself and, you know, learn to just you know, look in your mirror and tell yourself you're beautiful. That's all good and fine. But those days, I'm speaking to the people that those days when you don't feel like that and you feel like the ickiest person in the world, uh, embrace how you feel at that time, but don't stay there. And do not make a decision based out of your emotion at your lowest time. Don't. Put it on the table. If you want to If you want to do, you know, let's just say you want to go get a, a nose job done, cool. That's fine. But don't do it at your weakest point. Don't make that decision when you're at your lowest. Make it. Make an informed decision about what you're going to do. You know, I want to say, you know, love yourself, but that, that that's important. But that takes, you have to find that path for yourself, what loving yourself means. You have to. And set boundaries. Well, thank you so much for that. So, Tiana, where can people find you when not finding you here? All right. When I'm not hanging out with Bruce, um, <laughs> you can find me on um, Instagram and Facebook. I, I'm under unpacked energy, like unpack a box, unpacked ED at the end in unpack energy um, on Facebook, Instagram, I'm, um, on Instagram a lot more, but I'm on either. So feel free to message me or DM me. I'm always uh, going back and forth with people and just talking. If you, I know, I know we don't know each other, but if you're feeling alone, message me. I'm here to talk. Um, I have a podcast too. Um, it's called Unpacked Energy. Same thing. I'm on Apple, Spotify, Google, A, um, Google, um, Anchor, anywhere you can find the streaming services or you can always feel free to come to Georgia and I get on my box sometimes and just stand on the corner and just, you know, yell at people and tell them what they should do. So feel free to come to Georgia if you want to do that. Um, and Gmail too, unpackedenergy at gmail.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me. And as for me, I am the fittest fat kid you know, and what do you know? What a coincidence. What a surprise. I'm right here. You can reach out to me on all of the different social media platforms. I'm either at fittest fat kid or at Bruce Naxon. If you've got a question, concern, if you need some dietary advice or fitness advice, or just being pointed in the right direction, you can always reach out to me. And I am at hi there at fittest fat kid. Dot com. If you're listening to this podcast, leave a like, a subscribe, a five-star rating, whatever it is you can do, do it. I'd appreciate it. So no matter who you are, where you are, or what you're doing, hold yourself accountable, but do it with kindness and understanding. And I'll talk to you next week.